0: in the ICU. March 25th, 2020. When I walk through the automatic doors into the ICU at 7 a.m., I step into a war zone. There are overflowing trash buckets and debris scattered all over the unit. Four red crash carts sit outside the room. Their drawers open and largely empty, witnesses to the chaotic night. One of the patients who coded survived. The three others died. One body in a white plastic shroud is still in a room on the bed waiting for a stretcher. I asked, why is the body still here? A wary night nurse tells me there are no stretchers to be had. All of them are in use, holding bodies, waiting for the trip to the temporary morgue, two refrigerated tents out in the hospital parking lot. In normal times, we might see two to three codes in our ICU in a month. Now we see four or more in a day, sometimes two at the same time. Truly battlefield conditions. I hear one of the night nurses yelling from inside a patient room at a young, baby-faced intern to come help. Her patient is crashing and about to code, but the intern is afraid to leave his safe island in the doctor's report room. He knows that the COVID-19 virus is everywhere. Death's wings have scattered the virus like fine snowflakes over every computer keyboard and phone and countertop and chair in the unit. As the ICU attending and the fellow join the nurse, the intern slowly follows them in, looking scared to death. While the night nurse and the doctors are trying to save the patient who is crashing, I go into a small room that's cluttered with equipment. I cover my cotton scrubs with paper pants and a paper shirt, and I pull on a thick, Long-sleeved cloth procedure gown and tie it snugly. I will wear the gown all day, hoping, praying it will keep me safe, keep my family safe when I return home. I don an N95 TB mask, the only mask I will have to use for the 12-hour shift, and follow it with goggles and a paper hat to cover my hair, already tied in a bun, and paper booties. Standing outside the room of my first patient, the only survivor of the four nighttime codes, I put on a disposable isolation gown. It is a gown I will have to reuse for the whole 12-hour shift. Outside the patient's room, I take a deep breath, pause, open the door, and step into a pool of bloody fluid. During the night, the patient had pulled out his endotracheal breathing tube because they did not have enough of the sedating and anesthetic drugs to keep him asleep. There is no more propofol or Versed, so we must go into the room every four or more hours and inject a dose of second or third line sedative, hoping to keep the patient asleep. We will have to go back to Valium or scopolamine if the shortages persist. The patient came to the ER the day before with pneumonia in two of his lower lobes, bilateral basilar pneumonia. It is a classic COVID-19 presentation. Within 12 hours, the pneumonia consumed all of the lobes, whiting out the entire lung. He felt as he was being held underwater drowning because he was drowning on his own pulmonary secretions and blood. So he pulled out the endo tube, hoping to take in one full breath of pure air. That was when he coated and somehow survived. After hanging new intravenous solutions and in manually taking his temperature, the disposable automatic temperature probes that would normally display his temp on the heart monitor is out of stock. I asked our nurse's aide, Lily, to bring me bags of ice. She hands them to me, and I pack the bags of ice around his body to bring down the 104-degree fever. Satisfied, I remove the isolation gown, turn it inside out, and stuff it into a plastic bag outside the room, ready to don it again with the next visit. By the afternoon, when I put the gown back on for the umpteenth time, I will feel my own sweat clinging to the gown. It is a sickening feeling. Finally, the last dead body from the night is taken away. A housekeeper in a full hazmat suit comes in to clean the room. I can smell the bleach all the way to the nursing station. I say to my friend, Nurse O, I wish the entire unit could be bathed continuously in the bleach solution. Nurse O says, Don't get me started on my wish list. I can hear the exhaustion in her voice and see it in her eyes. Nurse O was born in Puerto Rico and grew up in New York. She gets tired when people ask if she's gonna apply for US citizenship. She is a citizen by birth. Nurse O is quiet and soft-spoken and has a lovely face. All the young doctors hit on her when they rotate through the ICU. Some of the attendings do too, but she will be married in June if the pandemic even allows for a ceremony. At the head of our wish list, we want the hospital engineers to put fans in all the patient windows to blow the COVID-19 virus out into the wind where it will harmlessly dissipate instead of letting it waft out into the ICU every time the door is opened. But the hospital has not approved the fans. We don't understand why. We ask a supervisor why they won't install the fans. Other hospitals in New York have done it in all of their ICU rooms. She just shrugs, she doesn't know. Providing enough PPEs so we didn't have to reuse ours over and over again would be nice. We're told not to expect more supplies anytime soon. Every hospital in the country is ordering them. Our suppliers are out of stock. And to have enough first line sedation and anesthetic drugs so our patients don't wake up and pull out their breathing tubes, that would be a heaven sent. The pharmacy doesn't know when manufacturers will fill their orders. It may be days, or weeks, or months. The ER nurse calls and yells in my ear, Why is it taking so long to send my patient upstairs? It's a madhouse down here. We have patients wall to wall and lined up in the street. I don't bother to defend myself. We are all working in the same hellscape a scene a movie director could hardly imagine for the scariest horror movie ever. A half hour later, Mr. G, the new patient arrives. He is 45 years old. His skin is mortuary cold. His fingernails are gray instead of a healthy pink and his blood sugar is 1,800. I ask the ICU attendings, have you ever seen a blood sugar this high? Our attending for the month is Dr. V. She is a veteran pulmonary care physician who has seen it all. I always feel good when she's covering the unit. Dr. V tells me she has never treated a patient with a blood sugar that high before. She tells us they are learning that COVID-19 virus wreaks havoc on diabetics. The current theory is that either the virus itself or the body's hyperimmune response makes the organs in the body resistant to insulin. Without insulin doing its transport job, glucose can't enter the cell. So it just builds up and up in the bloodstream while the cells starve for nutrients. With our fearless Nurses A. Lily helping, I settle the patient into bed, adjust the intravenous infusion, and tie his wrist to the bed frame to keep him from pulling out his breathing tube. Finally, I look for the first time into the man's face. It is a handsome face, It is a face that once laughed and smiled and winked at his children. I know he will laugh no more. The cold ones always code. They always die. I know that soon, probably during my 12-hour shift, I will have to drag the young intern out of his safe harbor to come pronounce the man dead. The hour waiting for a stretcher to remove the body will be when I get to eat my lunch. The thought keeps coming back to me. How did we end up in such a mess? How come we weren't better prepared for the avalanche of patience that is crushing us? What went so very wrong?